You're listening to The Voluntary Life, where you can hear ideas for finding freedom in an unfree world. Visit thevoluntarylife.com to connect with the show and hear all past episodes. Here's your host, Jake. Hi, it's Jake here. Welcome to The Voluntary Life. I'm very pleased to welcome back my wife, Hannah Brame, as a special guest on this week's episode. Hi, Hannah. Hi, thanks for having me. And our daughter Freya is also here, so you may hear her in the background too. So in the last episode, which was episode 282, I had a discussion with Drew Sample on his podcast, and he asked me about minimalism and parenting and how things were going with us. And I gave him a sort of brief description of our experience of that so far. So for people who don't know, we are minimalists. We have very few possessions. Uh, We can fit everything that we own into one suitcase each uh, for hold luggage and one carry-on bag. And we're planning to continue being minimalists, even though we now have a six-month-old daughter. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this too and see what you, how you think things are going and what your thoughts are about the whole question of minimalism and parenting and to get your opinion about it. And this will definitely just be the first of potentially a number of times that we could talk about this because we're only six months in. So this is really just about the first six months of parenting. So when it comes to our experience so far... What are your thoughts about minimalism and parenting? Well, we decided before Freya was born that we were going to try to keep being conscious and intentional about the stuff that we bought and how much stuff we accumulated and why we were getting that stuff and all the stuff related values that we had before to try and maintain those, even though we had a baby. And a lot of people said to us, it's really, really hard to do that when you've got a baby. Mm. You're not going to be able to do this anymore when you've got a baby and so on. So I was kind of interested to see how it was and obviously with a caveat like you said that we're six months in and in some ways this has been the hardest time because there's a lot of stuff you need for a baby and in other ways it's it's probably the easiest period in terms of parenting because our daughter can't ask for stuff yet it's more just about what do we think she needs um it's actually been a lot easier than i thought it would be to keep a low ceiling on the amount of stuff that we have for her and i think there's a few things we did in particular that have helped with that but yeah in general i thought we would have a lot more stuff (laughs) right now at six months than we actually do. It's been really interesting to see actually how little stuff you do need compared to the laundry list of items that you're given in antenatal classes, for example. Mm. Um, There's definitely things that you you absolutely do do need, but a lot of the stuff that usually is talked about as being a quote need is really a nice to have. Um, And in some cases, it's just completely unnecessary. (laughs) Is there anything immediately that pops to mind as things that you really thought we were going to need that would turn out to be completely unnecessary so far a pram we didn't buy a pram we haven't bought a pram and it was interesting to see that we didn't need that because for a lot of people that's one of the biggest expenses i mean prams are a good quality pram is really expensive yeah and you know obviously because we don't own a car either we haven't we, we have needed a car seat but we've been able to borrow one when we've needed one and you know i think we've we've she's been in a car what two or three times so yeah. far so we've been absolutely fine without one yeah, and just to clarify, we've been using baby carriers. Essentially, you just sort of strap your baby onto your front and they can see you as you're walking around. And they're actually really fun. I think I think they work really well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I have heard, talking to friends about it, some babies don't seem to like them naturally, but we were lucky with Raya. She seemed to like it immediately. Um, we started off with a really soft wrinkling and she seemed to really like it. She fell asleep in it, which is pretty much the ultimate seal of approval. <laughs> yeah, in fact, if she's having difficulty sleeping, 
putting her in the carrier has been a reliable way of her just immediately getting a good nap in. Yeah, definitely. It's it's also been useful, you know, during times when she's had maybe a bit of gas or she's teething or something like that and she's been upset. And in that moment, there's nothing that we can really do to alleviate her distress apart from just hold her. It's been really useful then as well because it's something that she associates with being relaxed. She can be close to us, but we don't have to carry her around because she's getting really heavy now. <laughs> in general, I, I would say that's probably one of the decisions that we made um, in the beginning, you know, let's just see how it goes without pram. If we need to get one, we will get one. We haven't needed one. And actually, I'm really glad we decided not to to try because it's been a lot simpler just not having one. Even with things I hadn't considered before, like going out, for example. And this is a really small point, but it, it has actually made a difference. Um, it's a lot easier to take her out without a pram. Um, yeah, she gets kind of heavy after a while, but a lot of the carriers that you can get now are ergonomically designed so that, yes, your back does start to hurt after a while. But it's a bit like carrying around a big hiking rucksack. It's not backbreaking work or anything like that. Yeah, I was just going to say for me, I mean, it's exercise. It's actually been it's actually been pretty good exercise. I mean, I, I definitely, and this is another thing just with having her, you know, you, you do a lot of picking things up and picking her up. But um, the carrier definitely uh, keeps you fit, I think. Yeah, it's like resistance training. You know, yeah. you're doing 10,000 steps a day with a 20 pound baby. It's good exercise for sure. But yeah, I think the world is generally more accessible just because you don't have to navigate pavements and stairs and or sidewalks if you're American and stairs and everything or wait for the lift and stuff like that. And it's just, it's a lot simpler. Having been out with friends who have buggies or prams, I'm quite glad that we made the decision to to try the carrier and it's actually worked out really well. That's not to say we won't get a pram in the future because she is getting quite heavy now. And there will come a point also when she's going to want to try walking around herself and perhaps it might be easier at that point to have her getting in and out of a pram rather than having to sort of strap her to us every point. We'll see. But right now I'm keeping an open mind about it. But that's, yeah. that was probably the biggest thing that I thought we absolutely would need that by this point that we haven't needed. Mm. Right, absolutely. There's a number of different categories of things that I thought we could talk through about other things to to sort of talk about the decisions that we made and some of the stuff that's often associated with babies. The first big one that I wanted to talk about is feeding because, you know, there can be a lot of equipment involved, especially if you go for bottle feeding. And we made the decision to go for breastfeeding and Obviously, that's something that doesn't work for everyone. Some people have real difficulty with it. But I think that that's actually saved us having a lot of equipment. What are your thoughts about breastfeeding and, and bottle feeding and all the stuff involved? Yeah, definitely. I mean, breast, breastfeeding has made life super, super easy compared to um, bottle feeding or formula feeding. Um, obviously, like you said, it's not possible for everybody for a variety of reasons. So, you know, I feel very lucky that we've had the chance to do that. But yeah, it's just, it's super easy because you've got food with you wherever you go. You don't have to take out any, you know, especially in the first six months when you're having to sterilize things. If you can breastfeed, it really alleviates a lot of the headache around that because you can just kind of, the baby can snack on demand, (laughs) you know, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I got a little feeding shawl that I can use in public places and it's just, it's worked really, really well. Mm, Yeah. Actually, I just wanted to say one of the things about getting the breastfeeding going was we employed a consultant for one session to come, a breastfeeding consultant, and she was amazing. And she helped us with this process of baby-led latching where basically Freya found the breast on her own and that was the most amazing experience seeing that actually instinctively babies know what they're doing 
Yeah, that was an interesting experience for me because I had done a lot of reading beforehand about proper latching positions, et cetera, et cetera. And the first two weeks of breastfeeding were hell. I think in some ways were actually worse than labor <laughs> in terms of pain. You know, it was a very different kind of pain. It was a something is wrong pain, not a, you know, mm. labor pain. I would liken more to, you know, you're running an ultra marathon, that kind of pain. <laughs> it was really unpleasant. And um when this lady came around, what it turned out was that I was actually the problem <laughs> because I had read about all these positions that the baby should be in. And I was trying to sort of put her in in all these kind of different postures and positions and stuff like that. And actually, the number one thing that I think really helped was this woman saying, just let her back off and let her find the breast, like find latch on herself. Just hold her really loosely. Don't try and like force her into a certain position or anything like that. And just let her do it herself. And I think that's a big life lesson that I'm probably going to learn with her again and again. Is just to, you know, back off and let her do it herself. And it will be way more successful than trying to sort of do it the way that I read in a book, that I think I should do it, and so on. Well, and also the way that we were told in the hospital, we got a lot, got a lot of advice in the hospital about exactly how to latch the baby and how to make it work and so forth. Right, and, and it was all conflicting and slightly different. And one person said this, and the other person said, no, don't do that, do this. And yeah, and at the end of the day, all we had to do is just... <laughs> let her do it herself. Yeah, it was amazing. And it's a really, really impressive thing to see. How about sleeping? Because that's another thing that, you know, we initially thought we would need a cot and we did use a cot very briefly in the beginning, but now we've gone for co-sleeping. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah. So I had read about co-sleeping before Farrah was born and it was something that I understood the arguments for in theory, but felt very nervous about just because of the potential safety issues. So for the first, I think it was eight or nine weeks, uh, we had this little sidecar crib that I got secondhand and it attaches to the side of your bed. So essentially the baby is sleeping right next to you, but they're just in their own little kind of separate, it lies flush with the bed, so it's in line with the mattress and everything, but the baby can't roll out. um, And you also cannot roll on the baby. So we had that and even though she was right next to us, it was an issue. You know, she was waking up anything between every half an hour to every two hours for the first two months. And it was really hard sleep wise. She slept really, really well on me. But obviously when she was doing that, I couldn't sleep because it's really dangerous, dangerous to fall asleep um, with a baby on you. And yeah, ultimately I just, I did not feel comfortable doing that. And so after, <laughs> after several weeks of just not sleeping, we decided to give co-sleeping a try. And so she got half the bed. <laughs> You had to go downstairs and sleep in the second bedroom. <laughs> um, but it from, I think, the first couple of nights, it was still quite disturbed. But from the third night onwards, she slept really, really well. And instead of waking up, you know, some nights it was every half an hour, she would go a good kind of three or four hours without waking up. And she still wakes up to feed during the night, but it's very, it's she doesn't wake up now because she wants to cuddle or because she wants something else. You know, it's it's usually, I'm just hungry. Yeah. I mean, I think it has worked really, really well. And obviously, co-sleeping is one of those issues that you've got to do your own research on and look it up. There's lots of conflicting opinions about it. That's the decision that we made. But you do need a big bed for it. And the bed that we have here is not big enough. And the solution we've eventually come up with is we just bought a single bed to go next to the double that I now sleep on. So we have a kind of an extended, extended bed upstairs. But in places that we go to in future, we will 
be going to places with big beds because you you need it if you're going to do co-sleeping yeah that's become one of our criteria <laughs> we we went on holiday last month and uh the the king bed in the hotel room was a very <laughs> a very big pool point <laughs> just saying that yeah so we have actually accumulated we have bought a cheap bed um which we'll sell um before we leave but this is another thing this the kind of things that we're buying we're just going to sell again when we finish using them one thing I wanted to mention on the topic of um, feeding that we didn't cover before is actually uh, weaning and the stuff that you need for baby feeding. Because we've had an interesting experience with going for baby-led weaning, which is where you simply give the baby food and they work out how to hold it and eat it rather than spoon-feeding them. And I think that has led to us also needing less stuff in the kitchen for feeding her because we don't use baby foods and and spoon feeding and all that kind of stuff what what are your thoughts about that yeah probably the way this has had the biggest impact is that it's just made feeding weaning her a lot easier so usually the advice is to puree food so whatever you want to give them puree it and with baby led weaning you give you always give them sort of soft cooked non-chokeable food but the idea is you give them kind of long finger food shaped pieces of it so they can pick it up and start gumming it (laughs) as it is with Freya start eating it themselves which she is really good at I mean it's been amazing seeing just giving her a piece of banana or a piece of toast and avocado she she knows exactly what she's doing and she's just started eating and it's also been really fun at mealtimes because I think it's a fun experience for her and it's a chance for her to learn some efficacy as well because she's basically learning how to handle stuff yeah definitely and it's way way easier for us to i was initially drawn to baby lab weaning just because you don't have to get into this whole um power struggle thing where you're saying you know just one more spoonful one more spoonful and i'm trying to sort of force feed a reluctant baby baby food or purees or whatever Uh, but you you really do just leave it up to them so i think it's easier for both parties involved because as a baby you get to develop manual dexterity and you get to try all these different textures and stuff like that. Um, you get exposed to all these different flavors and you, you kind of get to feel involved in mealtime because you're having essentially some of what your parents are eating, obviously translated into baby safe versions. And as the parent, you don't have to spend hours like cooking and pureeing food because you're just giving them some of what you're having and you don't get into the whole power battle thing. And apparently, and obviously it's too early for us to know whether this is the case yet, and I'm sure there are other factors that play into this too. You're also less likely to have a fussy baby because they've been introduced to all these different flavors and textures from the start, right? You're not just starting them on rice cakes. And purees. And, and purees and then progressing to lumps and then progressing to solid food. Um, you, you know, they get a lot of exposure to all these different tastes and textures from the beginning. Cool. Another topic that I thought would be interesting in terms of minimalism is toys. And I wanted to just read you, actually. I had a comment on the previous episode from a listener who heard my brief summary of what we're doing and he left a comment on the website you can do that by the way if you listen to an episode you can leave comments on any of the episodes on the website this is what he said children don't benefit much from having a huge number of toys but they benefit greatly from having a lot of time from their parents so it sounds like you guys are totally on the right track the type of toy makes a big difference the best toys are ones that a child can explore exercise their imagination with learn from and develop their own abilities with Some of the toys that we got great value from in the first five years included wooden building blocks, a two-octave keyboard with child-sized keys, and a set of 
paints together with a lot of large pieces of paper and a set of old clothes in a place where making a mess was not a problem, such as an old shed or even an empty bathtub. Best of all were the improvised toys, any large cardboard box that could be cut into shapes, coloured in, etc. Old enough furniture that we could let the children jump on like a trampoline, pull the cushions off and pile them up to make houses and tunnels, sheets that could be taken into the garden to make dens, old tyres that could be, could be tied up into trees for swings, furniture that can be moved around to make obstacle courses. These toys show children that you can create new things and that you aren't limited to a set of options in life that have been defined by others. I was also interested that you're using a child carrier rather than a pram. I think that's a great option. It gives the baby contact and eye contact with their carer, plus warmth, a sensation of the breathing and the heartbeat of the adult. And then he goes on to talk about how he went on to use backpack carriers later. I thought that was interesting, his thoughts about making toys rather than just buying finished toys. Yeah, definitely. And that, that echoes stuff that I've, I've read elsewhere as well. I think that's a really great point. And we're kind of at this stage at the moment where she's only just really becoming interested, more interested and interactive with toys. Up till now, I would say, well, not now, but maybe a month or two months ago, she was mostly observing things. Mm. And now she's starting to get really into definitely grabbing things <laughs> wants to grab everything which is great um putting stuff in her mouth you know really figuring out okay what is this what is the texture what is the color you know what does it feel like what is uh the temperature you know what what can i do with it will it fit in my mouth um but i've really noticed you know we were, we were really lucky because we had a lot of friends who gave us little toys to her when she was born and um so I, i've only bought a couple of toys for her but most of what she's interested in now is quite honestly just stuff in the environment. Yeah. Um, water bottles seem to be particularly fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Water bottles are magic. <laughs> and rustly packets, which are not baby safe, but, you know, it's, it's sort of the least, the least baby safe stuff is usually the most fascinating stuff. Like packets of bananas, you know, with all the plastic wrapping around them. All that stuff. Mirrors are fascinating too. Just things in the environment are... I think they're really enough for her right now. I mean, we, we have a play mat, which she does really like that I just got her, which has got lots of textures and sounds on it. So it's got crinkly little bits. And she's really getting to the point where she can enjoy that now. And that will keep her entertained for a surprisingly long time. But apart from that, I would say, yeah, just stuff in the environment has been really just the biggest source of fascination and entertainment so far. Um, even down to, you know, her clothing, my clothing is very interesting. Things like zips. Uh, she's got these little winter booties because we carry her. They're like um, little snow boots to keep her feet warm. Um, and she's absolutely fascinated by those. Every time I put them on her, she's just studying them and trying to work out how the Velcro works and everything. And so I'm really interested to see how that develops. Um, like that commenter said, you know, what I've read is that when they, when, when she gets a little older, things like pots and pans, you know, if you can give her like a pot and a wooden spoon to bang on the pot with like that that's going to be great for her for a while and again things in the environment that you already have i can't remember where i read this but i was reading that actually having too many toys can be an issue for children because of their attention span and it can it sort of encourages them to skip from thing to thing to thing which i think is going to be a problem in our society today anyway because of the internet and phones and stuff like that but it sort of encourages them to skip to, from thing to thing to thing rather than having one thing and cultivating really deep focused attention and play with it mm. so I'm, yeah I'm, I'm super interested to see how that goes but i really like all the points that commenter made and you know coming back to the the baby carrier thing just quickly you know one of the reasons i originally wanted to use one is i had read that especially for very newborn babies physiologically it's great because 
hearing your heartbeat helps regulate their heartbeat. There's a correlation between baby wearing and uh, babies being ha- finding relief from things like colic and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, so the, the physiological side is a huge benefit too. Absolutely. What are your thoughts about borrowing stuff and buying stuff secondhand? I mean, one of the things I've noticed is that with babies especially, the lifespan of any clothing or bit of equipment is very short because she's just changing so much and we've been very lucky to be able to have a well a friend of yours lent us a huge amount of stuff but you've also bought stuff secondhand so what are your thoughts about borrowing and getting things secondhand and stuff as a part of minimalism and parenting do it <laughs> uh, i think we save so much money yeah so we've saved so much money buying stuff secondhand and borrowing stuff there are things that babies that it's not a good idea to use secondhand. Uh, for example, cot mattresses is not a good plan because there is a correlation between using secondhand cot mattresses and a higher rate of sudden infant death syndrome. But basically everything else, I would say, it's worth seeing if you can get it secondhand because some of the stuff is really expensive. You know, even I would say mid-range items like the original carrier that we got. Uh, which was a close Kavoo sling. You know, it, it, I think it retails for like £90 or something and we managed to get it for 30 off eBay and it was in great condition. It was hardly used. Because of the nature of babyhood, which is that it moves incredibly quickly, there's usually stuff that you can get that's in really great condition for much, much cheaper than the retail price. And I think it's definitely, definitely worth doing because you get, a, you know, in some cases new, usually almost new or at least definitely usable item for, for way less than you would pay for it full retail price. Yeah, I also think that it's gone really well so far. Um, we were very lucky to have your friend lend us so much stuff and then and you've found some great deals secondhand in terms of the things we have, Paul. Well, those were the categories that I wanted to sort of talk through. I think obviously this is an ongoing process, but what are your overall thoughts about minimalism and parenting going forward? I'm looking forward to seeing how it evolves. I definitely want to keep an open mind. It's going to be a lot more interesting as she's more able to express her opinions and her preferences as well. Because like I said at the beginning, you know, up until now, in a way it's been easy because we're not in the situation right now where we go out and she's like, I want that, I want that. Whenever we get something, it's because one of us is deciding to get it. So I'm interested to see how that goes. And I think we are going to need to decide, okay, well, what are the principles that we're working with here when it comes to stuff that she wants, Mm. right? So for example, let's say we go out and she wants more clothes or she wants more toys. Okay, what, what is the principle that we use to decide whether it's time for new clothes or time for new toys? What are the boundaries that we set around that? I don't know what that's going to look like yet. I think it's going to be a fast evolving, ever changing, <laughs> ever changing thing. I agree. But I think the word that you've used is absolutely right. We need principles for that. And that's the way that we'll tackle it. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in future episodes too. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that struck me is I was thinking about the things that we could talk about in this episode is that I think the minimalist approach, I don't like using the word minimalist because I think there's a lot of connotations with it that are not so positive but I would say more the conscious approach to stuff I think has also influenced my parenting approach in general so for example you know we talked about breastfeeding and co-sleeping those are two big parts of attachment parenting and again I'm reluctant to call myself a quote attachment parent because there's lots of um, preconceptions that often go with that but that's that's basically what we've been doing and a lot of that ties in I would say pretty well with a minimalist mm. approach. Um, equally, you know, there's there's another sort of different approach I've been reading about, and I don't agree with all of this approach by any stretch, but there's some ideas in it that I really like around helping your child gain confidence 
and a feeling of self-efficacy, which is really hard because when you see a baby struggling with something, you want to just like rush in and help them. It's easy to fall into this trap, especially when you spend a lot of time with your child that you need to kind of entertain them all the time when they're a baby. And actually, um, I've been reading about this approach called, I think it's called res- Respectful Infant Education or it's called RAE. I can't remember exactly what that stands for. But the idea is that you encourage independence and self-reliance in your child. So, for example, you encourage them to play alone and to entertain themselves not that you just like leave them alone or anything like that you're in the room with them but you you, for example you're not entertaining them all the time because it's really easy also for them to be overstimulated and there's a lot of stuff about that approach that I don't personally agree with either and I've chosen not to adopt but I, I really like that idea of not hovering you know taking a step back and letting her play instead of shoving all these toys in her face one off the other you know letting her decide this is what I want to play with or this is what I want to do or if she's sitting there she's really happy just playing with her feet as she often is just leaving her to it not feeling the need to make funny noises or funny faces at her and just being okay with us sitting there in silence it sounds really obvious but it's actually a lot harder in practice than it sounds Um, yeah I understand there's a temptation to interact and to stimulate her all the time when actually some of the time what could be good for her is just simply to experience her own thought processes and the things that she's interacting with in the environment and give her the time and space to do that. Yeah, that's that's a much better explanation of what I was trying to say. I think Alison Gopnik, who wrote The Philosophical Baby, talks about this and she calls it blue sky thinking, where right. you just you give your baby time to just to just be essentially and be with themselves and look, be in the environment around them and to process it and figure out what they think about it and how they feel about it rather than telling them this is what you should think about it and that starts now obviously a six-month-old baby is probably not going through those mental processes in the same way that a two-year-old would but the point of this approach to parenting is that that starts right now there doesn't come a point where you just suddenly start leaving your toddler to entertain themselves or whatever because if they're used to you entertaining them they won't have that kind of independence they won't have that kind of drive so I have been thinking a lot about how does this desire to be conscious about the stuff that we're bringing into our lives, how does that also influence um, how I am as a parent and what kind of parent I am? Because I, I definitely you know, want to give her, I want to foster in her a sense of independence and freedom. Um, you know, obviously I also want to be an engaged parent and to, to be a responsive and reliable and respectful parent as well. And I think finding a balance between all those things is going to be tricky and an ever-changing process. But I think this pursuit of being conscious has infiltrated that aspect of it as well. So for me, being a minimalist parent, it's not just about how much stuff do you have. It's like, how, how are you actually showing up as a parent? And what are you doing? What parenting choices are you making as well? Again, we haven't had to make that many parenting choices yet because she's only six months old. And I think it's going to get a lot more complex very quickly <laughs> over the next um, six months or so. But I'm also interested to see how that evolves and changes as she gets older too. I think that's a really great point that it's not just about the stuff it's also about how we approach her and how we approach the the role of being parents too well i think that's really helpful and uh, probably a good place for us to stop for this episode i do want to say obviously for people listening do your own research decide these things for yourself this is our views on parenting you have to make your own decisions about what's in the best interest of your child having said that though i know that you hannah have done a ton of research on these different subjects so i will ask you for some links to put in the show notes about some of the things that we've talked about because that could be interesting for people who are interested in following up some of these topics on their own absolutely i will do that and you know one of the things i have found is 
all of the topics that we've discussed pretty much are deeply contentious in one way or another. <laughs> so, you know, you will absolutely find people who are like co-sleeping is the worst thing ever. Baby wearing is the worst thing ever. The most important thing is just, I think, to do the research that you want to do and make the choices right for you. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on this episode and sharing all of your thoughts about how things are going with minimalism and parenting. Thanks for having me. This is fun to talk about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking more about it in future episodes too. Another six months, we will <laughs> we'll do an episode on how yeah. things have changed because I, I, they definitely will have changed by then. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Voluntary Life. If you have feedback about the show, please email jake at thevoluntarylife.com. If you enjoyed this program, please share the podcast with your friends or click the donate button on thevoluntarylife.com.